Bring it in. Read Option Pod back with you here on a Friday, episode 181. 181 of these bad boys. It's crazy. We're getting close to 200. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, supporting us as always. Uh, Scotty Vito still taking some time away. It is, uh, you got me today. Uh, but we also have a special guest, Denton Day. Coming back on the program, you've heard him on here before. A buddy of mine used to work together over at SiriusXM. Uh, he's also been uh, working here at the the local sports channel in Washington, D.C., doing some on-air stuff, also doing some producing, doing a, a hell of a job there. And we get into a whole bunch of fun stuff. We talk uh, Dan Snyder, Eric Bieniemy, and then uh, we do some NBA talk there as well. Really fun conversation with Denton. He's the man. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Before we get into that, though, I have a brief open today, which is something that I've kind of been pondering on. We actually talk a little bit about it in the interview with Denton, but um, this whole concept of, uh, you know, player empowerment leading in towards what seems to come up like, you know, once every, what, how many, like once every couple of years, this thing kind of comes back into the cycle, but it's the idea of load management, right? We've heard that word. It comes up in a very cyclically cyclical yeah very cyclical in nature um load management it's a thing that's here in the nba and anthony edwards had comments you know at all-star break saying hey you know the way i see it we gotta go out and play you know how many families get to go to one game a year and then you know is that going to be the game that nobody ends up playing and that's they spent their hard-earned money like all of that is so valid and as a fan myself i side with the fans here but at its core, the fans are the only ones that get screwed over. All right. We, we talked about it, all the contracts and everything on Tuesday's pod. And part of having contracts like that, that are that big, mean that not only do the players feel like, hey, we are that much more important now than we used to feel, right? Hey, you're paying me this much money. I have to make sure that my body is held. It, it empowers them to be the ones that control their own fate, for lack of a better word. The teams are making significant contributions and significant investments into these players. You're putting 200, sometimes $250 million into these guys. And guess what? That number is going to get even higher after the next CBA in the next TV deal, right? We're going to start seeing crazy numbers, numbers upwards of $60 million a year. And when people talk about, well, why does the NBA regular season suck? Well, none of these players are playing. Well, why aren't they paying? Well, they're getting paid a lot of money. It's a player empowerment. Well, but also the teams are investing this much money because we want to see them show up in the postseason. I don't blame the organizations for doing this. I don't necessarily blame the players for doing this, even though there has not been any sort of like factual research to tell you that load management actually prevents injuries. It's more rest. Right, They have a little bit less wear and tear on their body as they go into the playoffs, so maybe they'll end up playing at a higher level. But this has been an issue now for 10 years, if not longer. It's been a decade of load management. Pop, right? Pop starting it with Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and, and Tony Parker at the end of their career. 
And Pop was kind of unapologetic about it at the time. And it has spread across the league. This is the NBA now. There, there's no changing it. And that's the thing that sucks is that you're never going back. And that's something I say with Denton thing. Like Carl Malone, all the all, guy missed like eight games in his whole career. John Stockton, same thing. The guys of the 80s and the 90s who played every single game, even though you know they would have liked to have a night off, they did it anyway. Those days are over. And ultimately, the players are getting paid more money. So they're not incentivized to change or play anymore. The league's never going to cut back the total number of games. That's never going to happen. For as much as people may want it to happen, it's never going to actually happen. The league makes too much money. Right? They make money off of more games. The more games they have, the more they can sell in live TV rights. And that's where they're making the bulk of this money to then pay the players more and more money. So as long as the number keeps going up, the league's not incentivized to change. Coaching staffs aren't incentivized to change. Players aren't incentive aren't incentivized to change. So we can continue this sob story. And, and I admire the guys like Anthony Edwards who stand up there and say, Hey, like I want to go play for the, you know, for the little kid who gets to go to one game a year max. And I want to be on the court and give them, a, give them a show. Right. I admire the hell out of that. The problem with that is it's just a nice sentiment at this point. There's no changing anything. It's it's a sad reality about where we're at in a sport that I love and a league that I love. But more and more, the NBA is essentially turning themselves into baseball. A regular season product, that's fine. If you're a regional sports fan, right? Like, you live in Philly, you're a Sixers fan, you're going to watch the Sixers. You live in Atlanta, you're a Hawks fan, you're going to be able to watch Atlanta, but you're not going to be able to watch Sacramento. It's turning into a regional sport. You're going to get a couple of national games a week. 82 games are too many games. Guys are sitting. And even if you chopped it down to 60 games, you'd still have to deal with load management. And then once we get to the postseason, the first round might get a little bit of drama, but for the most part, the first round, those first week and a half, two weeks are going to go by. And then the real stuff begins. And then the second, third round, right? Eastern Conference semifinals, Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals, and then your NBA finals are going to be amazing. They're going to be electric, just like baseball. You know, people like to sit down on their back porch in the couch, right? In the summer, throw on your local baseball team, watch in the background. People do that all the time. And you'll have a couple of, you know, regular season matchups that'll be really, really interesting that you'll watch nationally. But you're not really going to care about into the playoffs. And that's a shame because the NBA has more talent now than it's ever had. There's more talent in and out of the NBA that there's ever been. We talk about later on here, the whole idea of parody in the NBA and that we actually have more parody right now than it seems like we've ever had in the NBA, which should mean a better regular season product. But how much of that parody is because, oh, well, Boston's sitting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown tonight. You know, how much of that is, hey, Kawhi Leonard, hey, we're, he's going to sit when he wants to sit. Paul George, he's taking the night off. So the Clippers end up losing to, you know, Oklahoma City. It's a shame. It is a shame. But it's not changing. It's not changing. Because the league's not incentivized to do anything. 
The players aren't. The teams aren't. The, the, the TV networks aren't. So who's the only person, right? Who's the only person that wants this change to happen? It's the fans. But unfortunately, the fans can't do shit. <laughs> the fans can't get players to play when they don't want to. The players can't tell the billionaire owners that, hey, you know this guy you're investing $60 million in? Yeah, he should play a back-to-back. Because I'm going to my one game. And you know what? I wish they would. I wish that was the way it worked. Because I was that little kid once. And every sports fan who's out there was that little kid once. Who wants to go see the, the biggest star when they come to your town. You know, LeBron takes one trip to Philly a year. Right? Steph takes one trip to D.C. a year. And I would love to be able to go and see him. But are you going to spend... $100 on on one ticket on the chance that Steph Curry might play? Sure aren't. You sure aren't. And look, injuries are injuries. Injuries happen. But it's bad for the fan. And with ticket prices being more expensive than they've ever been, it's impossible to think that anything is actually going to change. Because it's not. The toothpaste is out of the tube. Player empowerment is an objectively great thing in sports. But as we've talked about on this pod before, the pendulum has slipped, has swung on the exact opposite direction. The players have so much power. And one of the outcomes of this has been resting players, load management. But load management isn't just player empowerment it's everybody it's the organizations it's the coaches it's the teams it's the players they all want the load management but the only people that are against it are also the people that have no power in the situation and that sucks all right denton day on the other side 1067 the fan the team 980 check it out give us a listen we'll be back in just a second returning for his I think third time on the podcast, we have at the Denton Day, the man, the myth, the legend, a uh, buddy of mine, worked together on uh, SiriusXM for several years. God, probably almost four years now, I think. Three, yeah, three and a half, something a like that. Yeah, we're getting um, old. Yeah, it's crazy. The time goes by way too fast. Uh, you hear him on W or 106.7, the fan here in Washington, D.C., as well as the Team 980, like I said, at the Denton Day on Twitter. How you doing, buddy? It's great to see you. Good to have you back. I'm good, man. It's a, it's a busy time. It's like oddly busy. You know, you think once football season ends, things cool off. But, you know, in the world of sports, there's always something going. So we're trying to stay afloat, but I think we're doing a good job. I yeah, appreciate we're... you having me back. Always, man. I think I think at this point you've eclipsed. I think you're the number one all-time guest. so uh yeah the people here we know you our fans know you and we're happy to have you back on um got a few things i want to lay into so since the last time you've been on the pod you started working at 1067 uh which is the local like terrestrial sports radio in dc um and there's a couple of things and i mentioned on on the pod i did earlier this week on tuesday um but there was the story that came out earlier this season about Daniel Snyder, I guess it was probably even before the season started, but Daniel Snyder looking to sell, ideally sell, the Washington Commanders. Um, Living in this area, obviously following football as closely as I do, I know you do as well, but now 
working in the local market, uh, you grew up in this area as well. What is the overall energy vibe? Like, I think we all know fans are ready to move on from him, but has this been a story that has faded out because it feels like on the national level, it has <laughs> no, but not, oh, in this, no, yeah. Yeah, we talk we talk about it. There's some mention of Dan Snyder selling the team just about every single day. I remember when the news first came across, I was I was laying in my bed. Like I knew I know exactly where I was. I was laying in my bed. I had just gotten home from doing the Kevin Sheehan show. And it, I saw it on Twitter and I was immediately I was like, I have to double check this. And it was nothing against, I saw it from uh, AJ Perez of Front Office Sports, and it was nothing against AJ. He's come out to be a very good reporter. But at first, I was like, there's no way. Like, I need to see this from somebody that I truly know and trust before I can believe that Dan Snyder is, in fact, about to sell the team. And then you have to do all these things, right? Like, you see a verified check, you have to now click on it, make sure, <laughs> is that really verified? Is that subscribed to Twitter yeah. blue? Like, yeah. how Thanks, real Elon. is this? So I... <laughs> Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I texted a couple of people, and sure enough, this was this was happening. Um, so right from there, there was like an immediate uplift in the fan base. But if you were familiar with what happened this season, that news came in late October, early November. The team was winning, Jeff. Uh, they yeah. weren't winning a lot in the beginning of the season. They were winning, and they were in the midst of this huge win streak. They played Minnesota the next weekend. And quite honestly, no one cared about the results of the game. They yeah. lost the game. No one cared because the news of Dan Snyder, not just selling the team, but selling a majority stake in the team, a controlling portion of the team. It was something that I never would have anticipated until I was probably 35. Like that seems like such a strange exaggeration, but I truly did not think this guy was ever going to sell the team. But he was so backed into a corner, this was the only option. The NFL was eventually going to be forced to do something. Um, so, yeah, we talk about it pretty frequently still. Uh, not not so much at the moment, but every time the little inkling of news comes up, it's, it's mentioned. And uh, who knows, maybe in about a month or two, we see each other again at a parade uh, in D.C. as Muriel Bowser closes the city down. She I was going to I was going to say if if that happens I'm going to the parade. Yeah, like, I, everyone I should be. Even as a non like non commanders fan like I'm I'm all in on that. I mean, I think I think it's a good thing for the NFL, right? Um and, and the other aspect of this too and, and I'm sure we will have the Seth Wickersham, you know, insanely long put together <laughs> article, right, that has years of journalism and research yeah. and interviews and all this stuff that, you know, we'll get that in due time, but what is the speculation like? Right. I mean, has it, it seems like it's been almost maybe not quite death by a million paper cuts, but it does feel like whether it's Jim Ursay coming out and speaking up against it, right. Obviously the multiple investigations, um, the multiple cases being brought against him. Um, is there one thing, that you think was like, hey, this was the straw that broke the camel's back, or is this just a culmination of him being a shitty owner for the last 20 years? Well, I think <laughs> this is what makes this all the more sweet. The straw that broke the camel's back was the Gruden emails. Mm. We don't have this confirmed, but the belief is here that the Gruden emails were leaked by Dan Snyder in an effort to attack Bruce Allen because Bruce Allen, Dan Snyder, when they were here, they were tight. Things yeah. did not go well towards the end of that. They split and Bruce Allen has not worked in the NFL since Dan Snyder split with Bruce Allen. So it's been two or three years now at this point 
But the belief is that those emails were targeted against Bruce Allen to make him look bad. But what ended up happening was revealing more information about Dan Snyder. There was already an investigation going on, but this led to more investigation. So the idea that he not only fired an arrow up into the sky, but it then landed on his foot. And that really got the ball rolling is probably the, the, the straw. It's sweet as hell, if you ask me. But it's probably the straw that broke the camel's back. But even still, he kind of weathered that. The thing that everybody should have circled on the calendar is the Mary Jo White investigation. Yeah. It hasn't been uh, released yet. It is likely, if I had to guess, and if it's my preference, to be honest, that it's released after he sells the team. My biggest fear right now, Gimple, is that something happens, some big news thing happens right before he sells the team. And the most, the best position for Dan Snyder to be in at this point in time is an NFL owner. Because he has the backing of 31 other billionaires and a league that has taken Sunday away from God in this country, right? Like yeah. you, you have that backing, you're damn near untouchable. So the Mary Jo White investigation, if that drops before he sells, I'm going to be shaking in my boots. But as soon as that pen hits paper, I expect that report to drop. And that's when we're going to get all the information that eventually we're going to get these long editorial pieces on whatever sporting website you enjoy. We're going to get those long editorial pieces based off the information in that report. It's it's interesting, too, because it feels as though. It almost I mean, I guess, again, you're around it more so than I have put more thought into it though but it feels inevitable at this point like it, it feels like regardless of what comes out of that investigation this is happening because the investigation yeah. itself isn't going to protect him and that's why i brought up jim mercy too because we know jerry jones wants to keep dan snyder around and jim mercy is a loose cannon as a, of a person but he's also kind of like the one owner who you feel like is injected with truth serum at all time like he's gonna say what's on his mind right. when he came out against dan snyder publicly that's not something I can remember happening. I mean, you go back to uh, the Clippers, the old Clippers owner, right? Um, yeah. But even when Jerry Richardson sold the team in Carolina, th there wasn't a public like sentiment from the owners one way or another. It was just he was old. He had these things come up against him, uh, mis workplace misconduct stuff that basically he was forced to sell the team, and he did. But you didn't hear a peep out of anything that wasn't you know written out by a lawyer from any of the owners. Um, right. Was there ever a world where Dan Snyder succeeded as an owner in your mind? Uh, succeeded how? Succeeded meaning, I mean, cha uh, not even championship, but just consistent re like relevance in the NFL. Like, I feel like he's the kind of guy that kind of would always do something to screw himself over, right? Like, he was the reason he couldn't get out of his own way. No, that that's the that's the amalgamation of what he's been for 20 years. So if you view success as screwing things up, yes, he's been very successful. But in the in the way of positive and not just making the team better, but competing for championships, you know, something that is lost in this is Dan Snyder is going to get paid a lot of money for the team. I'm yeah. going to guess it's around six point five billion dollars. I still think sort of the magic number is going to be seven because I really think he wants to prove a point and really surpass what Denver sold for. But he bought a team at $800 million and is eventually going to sell it for in the neighborhood of six and a half to seven billion dollars in about 24 years. So like the return on investment there is huge. So from a financial standpoint, he's been hugely successful. Yeah, but that's not him. Because if he, if he was really as good as some other owners are across the league, 
this team would be worth close to 10. Yeah, because they'd be successful when he took over this franchise. Now, it was in a bit of a, a state of turmoil, but in the in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, this was the cream of the crop organization in the NFC. It sounds so laughable now because for our entire lifetime, they've been the the bottom of the barrel, like the ruck of the mud for 20 plus years. But no, I don't there's there's never been a point where I thought his tenure has been successful because he continuously hires people to do a job and then makes life difficult on them when they try to do that job. And there's no way you can be successful in that. And with the people, and this is the thing too, because I think that's perfectly said. And this is the one thing it's like, he had enough money to buy a football team, right? An NFL team. There has been no businessman in America who has done better than any professional sports owner in the last 20 years. Right. It's, it's a value that whether it's the NBA NFL, MLB, whatever it is, the value of professional sports teams over the last 20 years has grown so significantly that you're right. Technically, from a financial standpoint, they're all winners. But that's the thing about Daniel Snyder growing up in this area, being a diehard Washington fan. I don't know. Look, money solves a lot of things. I think if I was a Commanders fan and just again, as an NFL fan who doesn't like Dan Snyder, I think the thing that actually feels best about this is knowing that he failed to do what I think he ultimately wanted to do, which was make Washington a hotbed for the NFL once again. And he did the exact opposite. Yeah, he did. And he was he was billed when he bought the team as a massive fan of the team. I don't know how true that was. Maybe at the time he was like, yes, like I, I, I grew up watching this team. I can buy it. Now I'm the owner. But as we have gone along in the 20 year, 20 plus years since he's bought the team, th- there's no way he's a fan anymore. Mm-hmm. Like this is he has transitioned into a business guy. This is helping my bottom line. I'm making money off of this. I will continue to make money off of this. But there's no way he likes the product on the field. In our lifetime, they've won 10 games twice. That's crazy. Twice. That's I mean, you nuts. can look at across some of the other teams that like Houston has had 10 win seasons. That team was created in 2002. Jacksonville has had 10 wins. Like the Jets, all these organizations, the Browns recently had one. They had they had an 11-win season. Yeah. This team has never won 11 games in my lifetime. That's they had a 10-6 and six year in 05, and they had a 10-6 and six with Robert Griffin III. With RG3. So, yeah. so the success has never been there. If he's really a fan of the team, you would want to make moves and allow people to breathe and to do their job to actually cultivate success, and it's just – it's never been every decision that he's ever made has hurt this team. Yeah. Cause again, he, he's the guy who can't get out of his own way, which is whenever that Wickersham piece comes out, you know, at some point over the next couple of years, it'll be really interesting to know what the motivations were, right? How much of it is just money. If you look back to how he made his money in the first place, it, he's a scummy guy, right? He's not a good yes. guy, but as a guy who was nerdy growing up and got bullied and, you know, basically has spent his entire life overcompensating for what happened to him as a child. And as a teenager, he consistently got, couldn't get out of his own way. And we all know if it was up to him, he wouldn't be selling the team. Right. If it was his choice, he would, he would keep going. Right. Even if it is a $7 billion deal, he's not selling out for that because it's the, it's the status symbol, right? It's the owning a Porsche of, of owning a sports team. 
right? You know, it's owning the, a Ferrari. It's the same thing. It's like you said, it's that symbol of power and relevance that, hey, you can have billions of dollars and go live in Paris or wherever the hell you're going to go live now. Um, but it's not going to it's not going to fill the gap that he's going to try to fill. And that's, I think, ultimately, if you hate the guy, kind of makes you feel even better about this whole thing. Uh, the one other wrinkle in here, which I'm super interested about, and I'm curious if you have any insight on, Eric Bieniemy gets hired to be the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach. So technically it is a slight increase in terms of role from what he was doing in Kansas city. But let's be honest here. You don't leave Patrick Mahomes to go coach Sam Howell or Taylor Heineke too. I mean, I love Heineke. He's been a fun story. Sam Howell could be good. Who knows? He played great in week 18. We have no idea what that means though. Um, in a, in a quote unquote meaningless game though. I think Dallas yeah. was trying to win that game um, to give themselves at least a chance at the one seed. But yeah. if you're the enemy, the only way you're leaving is not just because, Oh, now you're the assistant head coach. In addition to that, you're leaving because he got a significant financial off. That has, in my mind, that has, unless he's just bored of winning and working with Patrick Mahomes, which seems completely, you know, unfathomable, in your mind, what is the like? What's the driving force in getting the enemy here? Because to me, and the thing with coordinators and coaches is you don't really know how much they're making. It seems right. like a bag got thrown at him, but with everything going on with ownership, it seems like an odd. It seems like odd timing to go out and get a guy like that to come in when he's had OC opportunities in far better situations, and now he's going to come to Washington. It's the whole thing seems confusing. Shed any insight you have on that with us. Well, from a financial standpoint, it's a two-year deal. So whoever comes in after Dan Snyder, you're really only on the hook for a year. And by that point, you'll know whether or not you want to keep him if you do. As far as the situation goes, the situation isn't bad here. They just don't have a quarterback. But everything else, the receivers and the running backs and to an extent the tight ends, you have talent there that you can mold. And Eric Bieniemy has shown a really good ability to design plays i mean say what you want about his ability to call plays but i don't think there's any doubt that he helped andy reed and if he didn't help he certainly learned how to design plays from andy reed and we saw that in the super bowl they had some creative things called at just the right time where even if you are the most pessimistic person in regards to eric Bieniemy, you have to think some of that is going to trickle through now the driving force to him coming here was the fact that kansas city really loves matt Nagy. I don't know why they love Matt Nagy the way that they do, but Eric Bieniemy's contract was up. Andy Reid, more than ever, had really started to publicly sell Eric Bieniemy. They really started to talk his praises up uh, leading up to the Super Bowl when he was doing media. There's nobody that was happier about Eric Bieniemy coming here than Andy Reid because the Chiefs would have been in a really, really bad spot with everything that surrounds Eric Bieniemy if they would have sung all these praises and then demoted him because they wanted to bring up Matt Nagy after his contract was uh, was up. So that Andy Reid is very happy. And I know Ron Rivera and Andy Reid have a nice relationship, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was the challenge. Maybe it was, maybe he sees something in Sam Howell. Maybe he knows something that I don't know about how they plan to attack the quarterback situation this offseason in terms of going out and trading for somebody or finding somebody in this year's NFL draft that he's really over the moon about. But on a two-year deal, it seems like the the drafting 
of a quarterback would probably not be the answer. So he either really likes Sam Howell or there's a move that's going to be made in the next coming days or weeks that's going to solidify the quarterback position here in Washington. Those would be the only reasons I would think he would come here. But even if it's a free agent quarterback or through trade, like I know there's I'm sure a lot of Washington fans are hoping it's something like Lamar, right? Like somehow Lamar gets traded there, right? But even if it's Derek Carr, right, or Daniel Jones or, you know, someone else who could potentially potentially be on the move, you're signing that that person more than likely to a long term deal. Right. Right. Like Derek Carr is probably going to get a three to four year deal maybe three of it's guaranteed right in the fourth year's team option, something like that. And we know NFL contracts are basically fake anyway, from whatever right. you see Schefter tweet out, but that's, what's just so puzzling to me with the enemy and, and this whole move. Also, if it was a long-term deal, you think, all right, well then maybe he's the coach in waiting if they decide to move on from Rivera mid season next year. Right. Or after this next season. But again, it's a two year deal. I, uh, it, the, the Nagy thing is interesting. I do know that they like him, and I guess I can see with, like, hey, the enemy's contract's up. Nagy likely would get an offensive coordinator opportunity in a different city. So we're like, yeah. hey, let's keep Nagy, his contract's up. But if you're the Chiefs, like, you, you've gone to five straight AFC championship games. You have two Super Bowls. You've been to three. With this core that you have intact in here, Nagy – this is his first time working with Patrick Mahomes. Nagy was the head coach in no, Chicago. No, no, he was um he was uh, the OC Mahomes' first year. Oh, his rookie, his rookie. Yeah, so he was okay. under uh, Reed, and then he left for so Chicago. He, and came Alex back. Smith's last season in in Kansas City, and then he and was then Mahomes' first, and then his first uh, his 50, uh, 50 No, because wasn't he wasn't he already in Chicago when Trubisky was drafted? He was in Chicago uh, no. when Trubisky was drafted in the same class. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he came after because I know he was there in 2017 with the Chiefs. He was there from 15 to 17. Okay. I mean, either way, he obviously had a hand in developing Mahomes because he was there for Mahomes' rookie year when he sat out the whole season. So I yeah. do I do get that. But you won a Super Bowl with Eric Bieniemy as your offensive coordinator twice. Yeah. You know, and, and that to me just seems like I, I get it, but Andy Reid is all about giving guys opportunities it just feels like a lateral move in a lot of ways. And you're also yeah. working with less parts. So to me, I, I still feel like there's something financially involved there. Again, if it's a two year deal and they're throwing him, you know, $5 million to go be the offensive coordinator and assistant head coach, <laughs> like, sure. Like I, you know, if you're, if you're in that position, that's probably makes a lot of sense. And maybe that's what they knew on the open market. The enemy is an offensive coordinator, at least would be getting paid more than Kansas city wanted to pay them. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we're going to talk NBA and a little bit of college hoops here in just a sec. Cool. I just wanted to kind of be able to have a clean cut in between those two. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're it good. just flows a little better. All righty. I try to figure out what the hell's going on in the NBA. <laughs> All right, coming in. Uh, three, two, one. All right, so typically when we've had you on in the past, it's for the NBA because you like me and and more so than, uh, you know, our buddy Vito on the pod here, it's not a big NBA guy. He loves the playoffs, so he'll come in the playoffs, and it's always great to kind of have, right. like, the casual fan perspective um and scotty's a warriors fan so he's just been living in cloud nine in the nba for the last like (laughs) seven years um whereas you and i are much more like the nitty-gritty like watch league pass try to watch around as many games as we can um 
ultimately right now the the western conference is the most fascinating thing for me right we're in the middle we're still on all-star break i think they come games come back tonight um yeah who's your favorite in the west because i i think it's weird because and i'll set it up like this right it seems like everybody in the west right now other than golden state is completely unproven and golden state's going through understandably a rough season, right? They've been amazing at home, terrible on the road. Steph's banged up. They said he's going to be at least out another week minimum. Mm -hmm. But other than that, everyone else is completely unproven. And whether that be from health or previous experience in the postseason, it's kind of tough to tell. So where do you see the Western Conference standing as we sit here today? So the gambler in me loves Denver because – the degenerate side of me put a futures bet at the beginning of the season where they were plus 20,000. So I like Denver. Um, No, but Phoenix is Phoenix is the one right now. Once Kevin Durant gets back. I mean, it really is as simple as that. I am still a firm believer. I know there's been people that have very much jumped off of the Kevin Durant trade, which is fine. I'm going to keep writing it. And I'm going to point and laugh at everyone that jumped off of it because I'm still very much a believer that Kevin Durant is one of the three best players in basketball. So when he gets back and once he starts to get comfortable with Phoenix, they're the team to beat in, in the Western conference. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, now there's a lot of matchups I'd love to see with Phoenix. We're not, we're not going to see all of them most likely, but like a Phoenix and golden state with Steph healthy would be a ton of fun yeah. just to see those two guys. Cause I know they're still friendly. I don't know if Draymond in here is friendly <laughs> as they once were, but to see those two guys clash, it would, Maybe for Kevin Durant, it would help him find a little bit of peace because it felt like he left because he ne- he knew he was never going to be Steph in Golden State. But it would also give Steph an opportunity to shut some people up. So I, I still look at the Western Conference as as Phoenix's to run now that Kevin Durant is there. But there are some other teams that I do I am kind of excited about. Um, you know, Denver is I, I think they have a lot of potential. I I don't I don't see them as legit championship contenders because I don't know if they have a, a a guy, right? Like Jokic is awesome, but if you're down 10 in with two minutes left, do you have a guy that can go on an 8-0 run by himself? I, I, you know, I don't see Jokic as yeah. that guy, whereas Kevin Durant is that guy. Mm-hmm. If you look at Golden State, Steph Curry can be that guy. Kawhi can be that guy in Los Angeles. And Dallas has two with Luka and Kyrie. So the one piece that Denver is missing is that guy that can say, I'm going to will us to victory. And and the one thing, I mean, we've seen Jamal Murray do it, but it was in the bubble, right? So it's like, remember the flamethrower game where he and Donovan Mitchell are just like trading absolute haymakers, like, which is still one of my favorite playoff basketball games I've ever seen. And I'm with you on Denver. To me, Denver, it's, it's been defense, right? Like that's been their Achilles heel during the Jokic like MVP runs here. And what looked like it's going to be his third straight MVP deservedly. So because the dude's an absolute monster, like he's, he's, it's so much fun watching him play. I said this on the pod on Tuesday. It's like watching the, uh, you know, a dad play with his kids, right. On like an eight yeah. foot hoop, you know, it's just like, he can, he's just <laughs> taller than everybody. He can just pass it. He can do these little one hand floaters, right. Or almost like playing pool basketball. It's like watching Jokic, you know, right. play. Um, but the reason I say everyone's unproven because I love Phoenix too. Like with Kevin Durant, I'm with you. They have to be the unquestioned favorite. How, how much can we rely on KD and Chris Paul to stay healthy for a playoff run. You know, if KD yeah. comes back and is healthy and stays healthy through the end of the season, like I think they, I would put them probably one step behind Milwaukee as the favorites to mm-hmm. win the title. Um, but 
KD has been an injury. Like, it's been an issue now. It's not just like, oh, he had the Achilles tear and like he did in Golden State, which before that he had been relatively healthy his entire career. It's it's he's getting to the age where it's these nagging injuries. And it's the same thing with Chris Paul. Now, if Chris Paul's out and you're telling me it's still Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, you know, I, right. I, I still think Feel they're bad. probably the favorite to get out of the West. But if you go yeah. through every single team, Denver, Memphis, uh, Sacramento, the Clippers, Phoenix, Dallas, New Orleans, right? And then Golden State, uh, it you can poke holes in every single one of those teams. And what I like about this, and this kind of leads into my next question, which is that does it feel like this is as much parody as we've seen in the NBA in a long like, – I can't remember the NBA, particularly in the Western Conference – um, have as much parity as it exists right now. I, I would absolutely agree with that because, you know, I'm just trying to think back. When was the last time when we truly didn't know it in either conference? You know, I think the sample size of, of potential championship winners in the Eastern Conference is much smaller, but you just named, you know, six or seven teams in the West that I could see winning the Western Conference. Um, like if Zion's healthy, I could see New Orleans winning because they were uh, yes, so dominant I, I at the, the beginning. Thing. So the same, right? Thing. Like Dallas can win the, the Western conference. The way that people have reacted to the Kyrie trade is understandable given how people view Kyrie Irving, but purely from a basketball standpoint, the best years of his career was when he was playing second fiddle. Mm-hmm. So why, why would they think he's going to get worse now? So I, you know, I didn't quite understand a lot of that. I think Kyrie. Well, I can tell you, I can give you my take on it at least, which is that I know there's going to be a time probably right before the playoffs or first round or something where there's going to be a Kyrie moment. And that's how I have, that's how you have to describe it. Right. It's yeah. You don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be a post-game conference. It's going to be a game that he inexplicably doesn't show up. It's going to be a game where he tries to check, you know, uh, Kevin Durant one-on-one. Right. And they're playing Phoenix and it's towards the end of the season. He's like, I got him. Like he did when he was in Boston against Giannis. Like he's got, there's going to be a Kyrie moment because this is what happens every time Kyrie goes somewhere. He goes there. NBA players love Kyrie. Like everyone in the league. They do. They love him. Which is so wild from an outside perspective. And as someone who's just not in those locker rooms, like we'll just never know. We'll never fully understand as to why. But there's going to be a moment. There's going to be a Kyrie moment at some point, which just makes them really hard to trust. And I think defensively too, like they'll be able to put up a ton of points. But defensively, I think they're, they'll have a lot of problems stopping Phoenix. I think they'll have problems stopping Denver. But at yeah. the same time, if you told me, hey, Kyrie's spends three months on his best behavior and they get to the finals, that also wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, it's belie- it's believable. I, I like the parody, but it does. If you're a casual fan, I could understand why parody is a little bit more difficult to follow because you have to be spread a little bit more thin with the way that you pay attention and people don't like to pay attention nowadays but what's interesting though is like that's what the nfl thrives on right the nfl thrives on this idea of parody that you can be the jacksonville jaguars and have the number one overall pick and then you can also advance into the divisional round of the playoffs and and almost beat the the eventual super bowl champion Champion. you know right and in in this in one season you can make that jump and i think that's like sacramento to me has been one of my favorite teams to follow this season Right. De'Aaron Fox having this complete career turnaround. Do you know De'Aaron Fox is number one in the NBA in crunch time? Like, really? And by a huge margin. He's been insane in close games. And the the pairing with him and Sabonis 
has been fantastic. They have Harrison Barnes, who's a leader there. They go out and make the Kevin Herter trade in the offseason. And they have a, a legitimate team, and they have a great head coach, too. Um, uh, not Mike Brown. The uh, He was on Golden State's bench um, forever. But uh, Is it Gentry? No, I'm, it's, no, I'm it's blanking on him now. Uh, he's the guy who always, you know, fills in whenever whenever Kerr would would be would be off. But uh, yeah, we'll get stats and research on that. But they've done a really really good job this year, and I think. Oh no, it is Mike Brown. You're right. Is it Mike Brown? Okay, yeah. I was thinking Mike Brown was the one who took the Indiana job. Who's the Indiana head coach? Who was the Indiana head coach? He was um, the. Uh, oh, it's it, Carlisle. Yeah. Well, no, so Indiana University. Oh, that's Mike Woodson. That's Mike Woodson. Woodson. That's who I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it is Mike Brown. Um, but this is why this is the, the follow up I want to say with the parody thing. Right. And I wonder if parody, though, it's fantastic for the NFL. Is it good for the NBA? Right. Because I think the peak of the NBA over the last 15 years and people complained about it when it was happening, but it was Scorched. having. It was having three straight finals of Cleveland versus Golden State, of LeBron versus Steph, and then LeBron versus KD. Like th- those three years, I think, were the height of NBA basketball in terms of popularity, right? Because when it came to the finals, someone like my mom, who knows nothing about the NBA, <laughs> knows who Steph Curry is, knows who Kevin Durant is, knows who LeBron is, right? And you see them on your TV in June, July, every single year. And as a basketball fan, as an NBA fan, I would much rather have this parody because I think there's so much talent in the league that it makes it far more enjoyable to watch, should be at least in the regular season. And that's a conversation for another day. But the playoffs make it so exciting. You have so many shot makers. You have the Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, bang, bang, you know, back and forth slugfest. Uh, Is parody necessarily good for a league like the NBA, which – uses social media and has these stars that they completely have built their entire organization around. Well, parody is not built the same. And I think that's the biggest difference because it's much easier to follow the parody in the NFL because it's almost on one singular day. And you might get a Monday night game and a Thursday night game, but you can very easily plan your schedule out across the NFL calendar. Whereas with the NBA, it's different because the beginning of the season, like nobody thought the Kings were going to be that good. So how many times have the Kings been on national television? If you're a casual fan, you don't get to watch the Kings. You have to go to League Pass or you have to pay your money for it, whereas these teams like the Lakers are on television all of the time. The the NBA has such a weird relationship with markets in a way that the NFL doesn't because the, the NFL recognizes it is the market. And that there might be some jostling, like we'd like to have Dallas in a primetime game if possible. Like we're going to put Dallas and New York right in the middle on Thanksgiving, but they've always put Dallas, you know, in the middle on Thanksgiving. So yeah. they can kind of toy with it a little bit, but the NBA relies so much more heavily on star power and the market size, but they do it at the beginning of the year. So they don't plan for a team like the Kings to get good in February and March and have us be talking about them. So I think it makes it a little, little more difficult because it's much easier in the NFL to plan or to react to parity. Whereas the, with the NBA, you have to go above and beyond to, to kind of be locked in with everything that's happening. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really good way of putting it. I, and I, I, it's a really, really good response. Um, I also would throw in here too, how much of the parody is real? Because we know how much talent exists <laughs> and how much is it that, you know, Boston rests 
you know, three of their starters and then OKC comes in and lays 150 on them, right? Because yeah, OKC is putting out their starters and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart are sitting on the bench and getting a day off. Like, I hate being the load management guy, but at the same time, and, and this is what happens when you when you have a league that is so completely centered around players and player empowerment, that once the tooth, it's like a toothpaste out of the tube situation, right? It's like the players right. have so much power now, and you know in the next CBA, they're not relinquishing any of that. But I do think, as Anthony Edwards brought up over All-Star Weekend, like I do think it hurts the product in the regular season. I do think it, it ends up being more of a negative than a positive when you have so much talent the more you play, I, I, I think is ultimately better for the league and better for the fan. Yeah, it, it's such a it's such a weird relationship, too, because, you, you know, they're asking for less games, but they're still going to do the load management thing. So yeah. it's, it's I, you know, I, I understand like load management kind of, I guess, has to happen nowadays, you know, with with teams like the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard is never not going to load manage. He's yeah. never going to play 82 games. If you make the season 72 games, he's never going to play 72 games. He's going to find ways. Kyrie Irving is the same way. He has called portions of the NBA schedule inhumane. That's aggressive. It, that's, an aggressive that's an aggressive way to phrase a basketball schedule, especially when guys come up in the AAU lifestyle where you're playing like four games in a day. Yeah. So these guys are used to it now, obviously, playing an AAU game, playing an NBA game. Very different, different stress on your body. You're dealing with bigger people. It's much more physical when you're playing the NBA and it takes a bigger toll. I understand all of those things, but I, I do think um, that the the load management thing is an issue. Player empowerment, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I just think load management has become the face of player empowerment. So they're kind of entangled with one another. And that's, that is true. Uh, the two are separate, but I do think one has led to the other, yeah, you know, I agree. I, like I don't think going into it, the whole, the, the idea and the ideology, right. And the, the birth of the player empowerment era came all the way back to the decision, right. LeBron choosing to go to Miami. Like that's when true player empowerment started to become a thing. When you had a star that big say no to not only the place that drafted him, but the place that he's from his quote unquote, like home. Right. And he, he leaves. And from there it's built up and built up, but now we have guys in the next CBA when the next TB deal kicks in, like max contracts are going to be 55, $60 million a year for these guys. And this is where the, the load management becomes an issue because the people who I think are most frustrated with load management, it's not the organizations, right? It's not the individual teams. It's not the owners. It's not the coaches. It's the fans. The fans are the ones that get gypped out of it. The owners are like, yeah, I'm investing $30 million this year and $200 million over the course of a contract to make sure that that guy can play when I need him to play, right? And ultimately, it works out for the players because they stay healthier, but the numbers, at least allegedly, the numbers bear out that load management really has not saved that that much in terms of injuries, sustainability throughout a season. But ideally, it's supposed to give players rest, more time to recover. And the NBA has been like, all right, well, we'll remove more back-to-backs, right? Like, teams don't do nearly as many back-to-backs as they used to, especially when they're on the road. Most back-to-backs are at home. Uh, I, I think I think it's something that ultimately – I don't think we're ever going to get it back, the, the days where, you know, 
players would play 80 games in a season. Like we're just not getting that. Like it's, it's right. like, I saw a stat that Carl Malone missed eight games in his entire career. And you're like, that's insane. For him. Like, yeah, yeah good, I mean, that's for him. And that's injury luck. And he took crazy care of his body and everything else. And we won't talk about any of the other weird stuff about Carl Malone, yeah, but he sucks. Yeah. Not a great guy. Um, but we're just never going to have that again in the NBA. We've just moved past it. Um, before we let you go, I do want to, I want to touch on the East a little bit here too. Um, I tiered off both like just kind of the whole league on, on Tuesday um, and going from the bottom up to the top. And, and to me in there's three teams I have in the top tier as of now. And that's just because we haven't seen KD and um, CP three play. And that was Denver, Boston, Milwaukee. Uh, and to me, the East feels like we're heading towards another collision course between Boston and Milwaukee. And obviously as a Sixers fan myself, I would love to see them finally get past, you know, at least get to the Eastern conference finals, but the Sixers have to go on a run here. They have a lot. They have a really tough schedule coming up um, after the all-star break. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that, but it feels like we're heading towards another collision course. Cleveland's a great story. What they've done, Donovan Mitchell, I think they will be a threat. I think they'll definitely surprise people. Um, I love, I actually love Brooklyn. And I said this on the pod the other day, if you told me, Again, as as an old, I used to be a Ben Simmons stand back, you know, two three years <laughs> ago. But if you take two to three years ago, Ben Simmons put him on this team that he's on with Brooklyn on that roster, that's the exact team I would have said like that's what you build when if you have Ben Simmons, get a lot of wings, good shooting, good rim protection, and then let him be your primary guy. Obviously, he's like the thirteenth man on that team at this point. Um, <laughs> And then everyone else, I mean, I guess you can't sleep on Miami, right? Because they just find ways to do it. But, I mean, they're just getting old and slow and they can't shoot worth a damn. But Spo is just, he's the best for a reason. The Knicks, I don't see anything. Am, am I wrong <laughs> no for thinking? No. But am I wrong to think that, you know, this is a two-team race at the top of the East? I don't think so. I mean, I I would still think that Philadelphia is capable I just don't know what is the deal with James Harden. I don't know if it's a style of play that he just doesn't love or if they just need him to transition into less of the Houston James Harden. But if they want to be successful, Harden is going to have to to put up some crazy numbers. He's going to have to shoot way more efficiently than he has. I like Embiid. I don't know if there's anybody that can truly guard Embiid in the Eastern Conference. Um but it's the help, right? Like the thing is with Milwaukee, Giannis has help. Boston with Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum has help. And I still like James Harden, but if James Harden isn't going to play an all-star, all-NBA level, I thought that was the point of bringing him to Philly. I thought that's yeah. why he wanted to be in Philly. He took less money to to win, and that's admirable. We love that. But you also have to contribute to the winning, and that's been the biggest knock on James Harden since he's been in the NBA is he's not great during the regular season and, or he's great during the regular season, excuse me. And now he's not great during the postseason. Maybe he's doing the, the old switcheroo. He's going to be not too great during the regular season and the postseason. We're going to see old James Harden and he's going to go for 40 and a is going to go for 30. And they're just going to run track over everybody in the Eastern conference. But I don't know. I, I need to see more from the, the help for Joel Embiid. Cause I still think he's, he's him as the children say he is in <laughs> fact him, but everybody else is not. I mean, and B is ridiculous, but I think it's similar to what we were talking about with Denver, right? It's who's for as much as I love Embiid, Embiid can't be the guy that you use to close out games. He he's terrible. Like, there's numbers that suggest he's unbelievable in the last two minutes of games, and then there's numbers that show you like the turnover rate in the to close out games. Like he, yeah, 
as for as incredible as he is, and yeah, he had the game winner against Toronto in the playoffs last year that was sick, but it's like you need that closeout guy. So who is that, right? Is it going to be James Harden? Well, that's tough because James Harden has never been that guy in his entire career, and he's had chances when it was him in Houston. I would oh, defend yeah. James Harden and say that, look, he's not scoring as much, but he's you know top two in the league in assists. You know He's averaging 11 he's assists a game, right? He's, yeah. he's definitely – I think he's actually playing a more efficient style of basketball, right? Where he's not shooting at a super high clip, but he's still averaging what 23, 24 a game with 11 assists. You know, that's, that's a good number to have, right? Um, the problem with Philly again is it's going to be the defensive side of the ball where you're going to have, uh, you know, you can't play him and Maxi as uh, in the front court, uh, sorry, in the back court to, to close out games. Just, you can't now D'Anthony Melton, great pickup. But I also love having Tyrese Maxey as the sixth man. Like that move to make him the sixth man, because when he comes on, he's just a bolt of energy, finds ways right. to get to the rim, shooting at a really, really high clip. So offensively, the Sixers, I think, can hang with anybody. And obviously having the rim protection of Embiid is huge. But, you know, it's to who's guarding Giannis in a series, right? Who's guarding Jason Tatum in a series? Yeah. Are you going to put, you know, Harden on, on Jalen Brown and then hope Tobias Harris is going to try to lock down you know, Jason <laughs> Tatum, luck. like it's just not going to happen. And that's why, again, it was always so frustrating with Simmons is because they had that. They had a dude when Simmons was that all NBA defensive type guy to to man up. Now, you don't stop Giannis. You just try to slow him down, you know, and, and Tatum starting to get to that point. But um, we'll see. Uh, midseason MVP pick. Are you rolling with Jokic again? No, I, I don't like the same guy winning three years in a row. That's just a personal thing. That's a totally personal vendetta. I like making new stars. I'll go Jason Tatum. I hmm. love watching Jason Tatum play. I mean, he is musty television. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. I think I think that's gonna be Jokic again. And the big difference is he's putting up better numbers than last year, slightly. Um, and his team's the one seed by five games, you know. Right. And I and I think that's because he won it last year when they were like the four or five seed yeah they're like middle um, of the pack really yeah nice. and, and the year before that they were in towards the top and that was the first real big breakout year i mean i think when you look at just importance for their team and flat out dominance and i know it's the all-star game and it doesn't really matter but lebron taking joel first overall in the draft <laughs> you know i don't know i maybe it means nothing maybe it's you know we know how lebron likes to be cryptic but you know We'll see. We'll see where it goes. All right. Uh, he is at the Denton Day on Twitter. Denton Day is the best. 106.7, the fan and the team 980 here in Washington, D.C. He fills in there doing some on-air stuff, I know, for the, the sports junkies. Uh, he's done some really good stuff there. He's producing still with SiriusXM, Big Ten Radio. As always, buddy, thank you for the time. Great seeing you. Great having you on the pod. Yeah, always appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, huge thanks to Denton Day once again for coming on the podcast. Uh, great guy, really fun conversation. The Daniel Snyder stuff I thought was great. Uh, I thought everything about it was awesome. So thank you guys so much for listening. As always, we will be back uh, next week. Hopefully going to get Beto and Scotty back on the pod at some point here in the coming days. Uh, we'll have some NFL stuff coming up here soon. The Combine's not that far away. I think we officially have to switch now to, uh, to NFL draft mode, uh, as though even though I'm still kind of in disbelief about the Super Bowl. But hey, you know what? There's always next year. So we'll get to that point when we get there. Lots of good stuff. Some college basketball talk coming up along the way as well. So everyone have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again to Denton. And we will talk to you guys next week.
As always, take it easy, everybody. Bye.